Welcome to Percussive Maintenance, the podcast for Engineered Systems Magazine. I'm Ted Craig, Editor of Engineered Systems, and my guest today is Nicholas Schmidt, Chief Technology Officer for Blueprint Power. Welcome, Nick. Tell us about your company and your role there. Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm Chief Technology Officer. Um, so my background, uh, before being lucky enough to come into the energy space, uh, I worked on large systems integration. I was in the United States Air Force, um, but really focused on how do you make a lot of disparate things securely talk to a lot of other things, um, which was a really great glide slope into working in energy, which is the same problem set, just uh, on a different uh, use case. Um, so Blueprint is primarily focused on how do you take a bunch of disparate systems, uh, make them talk to each other and aggregate them into energy markets. Um, so Blueprint helps customers through a mixture of hardware and software uh, to connect their uh, distributed assets, things like solar and cogen and battery management systems and bat uh, batteries themselves, um, and optimize them against market signals. So things like price of electricity, price of natural gas, or uh, when is the most opportune time to, to use their resources against the carbon intensity of the grid. Um, so uh, my background was a little odd coming into energy, but it's uh, served us well as we've uh, built the company over the last five years. So as the building's uh, flexible capacity, what does that mean? Yeah, there's a common misconception that the it, when you install these types of assets that you have to su uh, supply 100% of your own building and then what's left over you can uh, push into the market. Um, that's not actually the case. If you think about the load profile of a building, it differs based on its use case. So a uh, commercial building is not likely to be busy at 9 p.m., but uh, maybe a house would. So that diversification of load profiles allows flexibility to mean when is the most opportune time based on that load profile to do something. Um, and, and that really matters when you think about participation of programs. And so uh, when the, the grid is very constrained in the summer because everybody has their air conditioners on, um, commercial buildings are going to be the best suppliers to curtail their loads in relation to that market signal. But a home is likely unoccupied and won't have a lot of uh, capabilities there. Or a manufacturing facility is going to have a, a pretty standard base load that might not have the same flexibility. So Blueprint looks at a portfolio of your assets and says, this building mixed against this type of building with these types of assets will generate new flexible energy uh, systems that we can then we can then monetize for you. Um, and so it's really looking at not only what the building looks like today, but taking historical and real time data to help size and look at those potential programs for for participation. And buildings are going to play a crucial role in modernizing the power grid, I understand. How is that? Yeah, we, we oftentimes think about power plants and we think about uh, these large uh, assets uh, that are supplying, you know, huge swaths of, of geography, but in reality, it's congested zones and most of the things in congested zones are buildings. Um, and so anything that a building can do to help provide additional capacity to the grid uh, is going to be very beneficial. Uh, and it's not just us saying that the, the federal government, state and local governments are all thinking about uh, what is a distributed generation grid or transactional grid look like. Um, and buildings are at the corner uh, cornerstone of that. 
because they're in the best locations to supply that, that capacity. Um, and so as we think about electric grid infrastructure and that, that modernization, uh, buildings are uniquely situated to, to help fill that gap that you're, you're not gonna put another power plant in Central Park. Uh, you're not gonna be able to park these traditional spinning large assets uh, to supplant that. So, uh, so buildings are, are really going to be where we need to park these assets. And, and as we think about how, uh, how the grid becomes more resilient because of those assets being closer to where the consumption is. The closer we get generation and consumption, uh, the better and the more efficient the grid will, will operate. But there is a big uh, change then from going from the traditional centralized power generation model to this decentralized model. What are the challenges there and how is uh, Blueprint Power going to help uh, respond to those challenges? Yeah, uh, they're huge challenges. Uh, you know, we have 100 plus years of operating this way. So um, as we think about what the, the big issues are going to be, I, I, I kind of put it into security, regulatory, and technology. Um, so if I take those one by one, we're opening up this world of IoT-like devices to being critical infrastructure. Um, the Biden administration uh, has made a, a lot of press around starting to look at these assets or anything that's grid interconnected as being critical infrastructure and thereby falling under a new set of uh, criteria and requirements. That's really tough if you don't have somebody on staff or you don't have engineering principles that will allow you to meet those very stringent requirements. Um, so, you know, my odd background actually served us really well at Blueprint because I, I came from that world. We, you know, I, I joke that it's mostly laziness that we designed our systems to comply with those because that's really all I knew from my, my military and Intel background. Um, but that's, that's where the grid needs to go in order to keep us all secure. We all, count on the fact that when we flip the light switch, the lights come on. Uh, and if there's a cybersecurity issue, that might not be the case. The, the big challenge on the next part is regulatory in the sense that all of our regulations, all of our interconnection processes, all of our uh, billing and telemetry and all of those, those things are designed around big power plants, not around uh, you know, a one megawatt battery sitting at a, a convenience store uh, at the edge of town. Um, and so we have to figure out what makes the most sense to bringing down those requirements to allow that participation. So things like FERC 2222 and FERC 841, um, the NYSERDA in the state of New York have done a lot of great work around what is behind the meter asset participation look like. Um, but we need to see more consistent guidelines if we want to scale this. Uh, and then lastly, it's technology. Uh, you have this world of, uh, this will upset a, a swath of people, but legacy systems um, that were meant to operate a certain way and then very modern approaches to how to command and control uh, devices at the edge. Uh, those systems speak entirely different languages. You've got protocols that were designed in one, one sphere uh, back in the 80s. Um, with very little security uh, risk frameworks put in place and then new protocols uh, that just don't speak the same way. And so Blueprints had a challenge in building decoder rings. And so how do you take these secret decoder rings to communicate back and forth between the legacy and the modern systems? 
Uh, and we have to do that at the market level, at the program level, and then the dig box, our piece of hardware was designed to do it at the building uh, and, and distributed energy resource systems themselves. It sounds like this involves a lot of data. What do you do to help uh, clients better understand that data and, uh, and obtain that data? Um, we're kind of going through, I think, the next phase of what does data mean to building owners themselves. I, I think there was a rush to collect as much data as possible, hoping that at some point it would pay for itself or there'd be some unique insight that would come from it. Um, so Blueprint does take a very pragmatic approach. Um, I always kind of joke with our clients because the, the, once they start seeing the data and the insights you can draw from it, they will, let's, let's monitor every plug in the, the building. And, and uh, you know, I was like, ah, oh, we'll, we'll pop champagne when we're to that level of optimization. Right now, <laughs> let's focus on your HVAC, your elevators, your, your large loads account for the majority of that. So if we can figure out how to optimize those first, you're going to get the best bang for your buck um, and, and what your data uh, health looks like. Blueprint helps, though, by taking oftentimes what is some really great historical data from that first phase of uh, data collection and blending it into the real-time data that comes from our hardware. Uh, we push all of that into a portal so that the customer has visibility into that data. Um, but in the back end, we're taking it and feeding it into our models to help guide their investment decisions, guide their portfolio analysis. Um, and so the, the portal is really there as a transparency mechanism to say, here's your data. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to access it, unlike traditional systems where, oh, well, you didn't buy that software license or the data comes out in a format that only our other systems can read. Uh, it's, it's your data. It's your building. Here it is. Um, but at the same time, we're taking it and driving insights and recommendations, um, very specific recommendations, too, I might add. Uh, turn off this system between this hour and this hour. That used to be the recommendation. We say turn off this system between this hour and this hour, and it'll generate X number of dollars of new revenue sources for you, or it'll decrease your carbon footprint by X. And so I think our, our building owners and our portfolio managers really appreciate that we're putting a value to that data, not just to collect it, but then to also monetize or decarbonize with it. Um, so there's more and more demand on the grid these days. Everybody's uh, wants everything electrified from cars to, you know, HVAC equipment to lawn mowers. Um, how, how are you going to help respond to that increased need? And how much do we need to uh, upgrade our uh, energy supply to meet that demand? Um. I use my own house as an example. Uh, I live in Northern Michigan and uh, put geothermal in and then asked for a 400 amp panel uh, from the utility company. And I, consumers, I think thought I was crazy, um, but I had always had this idea that we would electrify. Um, and so now I drive two EVs. My, my, uh, my lawnmower's not electric yet, but you know, maybe next year. Um, but that's really the biggest challenge is electrification, just putting the the charger in or putting the new heat pump in, that's that's actually the easiest part. I, I would say the bigger challenge is that a lot of the electrical infrastructure that was put into these buildings or these homes was never designed with the idea that there was gonna be these sorts of surged loads in. 
and we we were lucky enough for a long time that uh you know we replaced all the bulbs and we had a significant drop just from replacing uh traditional light bulbs with leds we're not going to see that same sort of step drop from efficiency measures now moving forward it's all new loads that were not accounted for and so you you have this two-pronged issue you've got the electrical wiring in these buildings that is not ready to support that electrification and then you actually have this other issue which is finding talented electricians who can come and do that work in a timely and cost-effective way um, and so we see that as the one of the biggest hurdles is we can make recommendations we know that this switch gear needs to be upgraded you need a new panel here there's a new riser needed um, but there's also an issue of trying to find the people to to actually execute on that work and so i think as we think through electrification those are the two big items that uh, we need to be thinking about uh, as, as we move forward so it sounds like there needs to be an investment in the trades as much as there needs to be an investment in the grid totally Totally. Uh, whether that's through electricians, building chief engineers, people who understand the, the these buildings are living things. They have an art to them. It's not all science. Um, and so having somebody who understands the the nuances to the way that building operates is so important. And, and we're not seeing that that growth of the people coming up as, as tradespeople, uh, as journey people coming into that field. And so I think that's going to be a huge challenge as we think about buildings purpose on the grid moving forward. You uh, mentioned security a little bit earlier. Uh, that's been a lot in the news these days with them, um, with, uh, you know, people doing ransomware and things like that. Uh, as each building becomes sort of a supplier of electricity, does that include, increase the risk of, uh, of a cyber threat? Yeah, and they become easy targets. Um, we've got regulatory bodies that monitor these large power stations, uh, whether it's FERC, NERC, regulatory uh, environments that monitor those things. That same level of scrutiny doesn't work when you have a, a building, um, but it also is just as important. And so finding that balance between usability and security is the probably the constant challenge in the, the cybersecurity field. Uh, and so I, I'm not sure what the right answer there is, but I'm excited to see the federal government step in and at least start putting some standards in place. Uh, Blueprint has been a big proponent of the NIST framework um, and, and the, the federal government kind of already solved this problem. Uh, there was the wild west when the army had their policies and the air force theirs and the NSA theirs. Um, and NIST came in and provided a standard language and evaluation uh, criteria that then allowed somebody to be able to speak to both. Uh, and, and that was an acceptance on the Pentagon's part that these groups of people are going to need to communicate more. They're gonna need to, to exchange data more. Uh, and then they pushed that down a level and said that the person supplying parts into the Pentagon also need to comply with basic security guidelines. And so we feel like that that's a really elegant way that the federal government has already paid for. And so things like NIST 853 and NIST 800-171 are really wonderful starting points for the uh, interconnected grid to, to start from versus trying to reinvent the wheel here. So getting specifically to uh, Blueprint Power, what ways do you help your customers move forward and uh, what are the benefits of, that you offer them? 
I think it's, if I had to narrow it down, it's a holistic view. Uh, oftentimes, uh, a building owner may talk to a solar EPC who wants to put solar on the roof or somebody who wants to put EV chargers in or somebody who wants to upgrade lighting or, or, or motors or things like that. But you, you can't really look at the building that way anymore. Those are all interconnected systems. They all have pros and cons and you need to look at the, the holistic approach of what that building will do with all of those upgrades in concert. So I think Blueprint, we, we, we tend to shy away from being a technology company. Technology is really the means to an end. And so we use that technology to inform those decisions so that maybe the solar should be larger because we're going to plan on doing export. Or we understand that in your roadmap, you really want to put EV chargers in your parking bays. Um, and so we're going to upsize that battery to make sure we account for that future load. When you talk to any of those groups of people individually, they're going to have a very specific view of what that asset or that upgrade should look like. We're going to be looking at where you want to be in terms of that roadmap. And, and if I could be so cheesy for a moment to offer you a blueprint of how to get there <laughs> in line with where your goals are. Hence the name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So what kind of engineering skills are, we talked about what kind of trade skills are needed. Are we producing the engineers we need to do this, make this transition happen? I think Obviously, you have quite a few at your company, right? Yeah, you know, we've got one or two engineers running around. Um, I, the, the, the easy targets, of course, are, are data scientists. Um, you got all this data, how do you make it more useful? Uh, I think that's super important. Um, that's probably the, the low-hanging fruit response. Um, security engineers, teaching uh, coders how to do things securely is going to be important because we're building fundamental code bases that are going to support these things. Um, the other sorts of engineers I think are, are in deep demand are people who, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do two answers here. One is that traditional systems engineering mindset of requirements, uh, iterative steps, execution, um, I think there's a, in the startup world, especially just, uh, you know, move fast and break things as though like the old Facebook mantra, right. um, you can't really do that when you're on the grid, you don't want to move fast and break things, not, not great. Um, and so that, that little bit of systems engineering, the SysV waterfall method has a place here. And so it's finding that best in breed. The second thing I would say is we oftentimes treat these two worlds as separate. And at Blueprint, we've, we've put a lot of work in making sure the energy mindset and the market intelligence that comes from that is key to our engineering process. So we don't have software engineers who are also energy market experts, but we've built a, a pipeline and a process around how do you take this market intelligence and convert it into code quickly? Um, and and we, you have to treat those as core disciplines working together, not as disparate disciplines feeding things back and forth. Um, and so that mindset shift of, uh, you're not gonna have a regulatory person who's not, not understanding the code base. Like they need to be understanding how, what the work they're doing is converted into the, that automation. Um, and those two things are gonna be really difficult as we move forward, just given how we traditionally uh, educate and manage those types of people. Well, you've answered all of my questions. What would you like to add? 
Uh, I always go back to my my rural Michigan roots here and say, uh, you know, we we do focus a lot on big cities and what the 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 tall skinny buildings in Manhattan can do for the grid. Um, and so I always like to take a moment and just say that uh, it's it's important for us to be inclusive of the edge of the grid too. Um, and so everybody used to to laugh at me for putting in geothermal up here or putting solar on my roof for batteries, but them seeing how that can work in the rural community and in a farming community is super important. And so these technologies are just as applicable to my family up here in Standish, Michigan, uh, as they are to, to the buildings in Manhattan. Um, and so that advocacy to make sure that we're thinking about all of the people who can be part of this energy transition is gonna be incredibly important as we move forward. Or we're gonna have these these issues of, of little communities that are not part of the energy transition and they'll be left behind much the same way we used to talk about the digital divide with you know dial up versus cable modems. Uh, we've invested so much time, money and resources as a, as a society to make sure that I can sit here and have this Zoom call with you. Uh, we need to do the same thing for everybody as they think about that solar and battery installation or electrification of their vehicles. Very good. Well, thank you, Nicholas, for joining us. Uh, I look forward to seeing what comes uh, next from Blueprint Power. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having me.